the book of Jonah, which is right after the tiny book of Obadiah. If that doesn't help you, you might want to look in your concordance. So uh, it's hard to find uh, some of the minor prophets. Uh, book of Jonah. Uh, we, we covered the first three verses a few weeks back, and I did a bit of an overview. We'll you know, have a little bit of touch points on the overview tonight, uh, but we'll pick it up with verse 4, Jonah chapter 1, um, part 2, if you will, starting in verse 4, famous story. I told you a few weeks ago, the kids could tell you this story. They could tell you in an in a elevator pitch, they could tell you the whole story. Uh, but we want to look a little more in depth. What does it mean for us as believers, and, and what can we learn from this story uh, that really did happen, even if the world doesn't say, oh, you guys believe some guy got swallowed by a fish? Yeah, it's not hard for God. And so uh, probably a whale, and we talked about those things. But uh, draw your attention to verse 4, and um, before I read, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you again for this time we've already had just to worship you. Uh, Jesus, we're thankful that you arrested death. We're thankful, Jesus, that um, you sit on the throne. We're thankful, Lord, that you've given us your word to open tonight. And you've never failed us, Lord. And the great things you've done in the past, you want to do again and will do again, and even greater things still. And so, Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you would... Even now, cleanse us, forgive us, remove the distractions, the cares, anything, Lord, that would keep us from hearing from you and fill, us, fill this place with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Remove me from the equation that we might hear Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Jonah chapter 1, starting verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? I don't think this was a compliment, by the way. Arise, he probably got slapped or something, uh, and arise and call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. And then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea uh, continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Lord, we ask again for the leading of your spirit. Uh, Lord, soften us, teach us, mold us, shape us. Uh, comfort us, whatever we're needed here tonight, Lord, that you would do that work. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. No matter who you are, if you live long enough, I'm, I'm talking to adults, so this, you're, you're all probably already, I, I know this, but uh, if I was talking to younger people, and there's some that are younger than others here, but uh, if you live long enough, you will eventually face storms in your life. Would we all agree with that? You will eventually face 
storms. Some storms we may foolishly head right into that were actually avoidable. Would you agree with that? Yes. Some storms were avoidable. Some come our way through no fault, no reason, other than we live in a fallen world that guarantees calamities. Would you agree with that? Some of them may just come our way. Jesus said this. He said that the tower fell. It wasn't any, anyone's specific sin. Just a fallen world. Just like um, thorns and thistles and all those things. They're just part of the fallen condition. Now, some storms are very unique to us. Not unique the whole world over. There's, you know, six billion plus people on the earth. Uh, some storms are unique to us, but they're not unique all over the world. Someone else is going through exactly your same storm, or it's very, very similar. But in the sense that uh, when I say unique, some storms you may go, be going through right now that no one else you know in your immediate family or even the CCR family is going through. That may be very unique to your current situation, your specific storm. None of your circle of friends... No one that you know is going through necessarily your exact storm or, or even really close to it. Now, someone else, again, in the world probably is and definitely is, but not unique still. But it can be kind of unique in your kind of sphere of influence, if you will, the people that you know. Other storms hit multiple people at the exact same time. They may not all be at the same place and knowing how to deal with the storms, and yet the storms hit a wide number of people at the same time. Nonetheless, they're encountered simultaneously. Some examples. Let's say 100 people are laid off from the same company on the same day. They all get the same storm, right? Some have money in the bank. Some don't have money in the bank. Some have great faith. Some have no faith, right? But the same storm hits 100 people at the same time, all laid off on the same day. Ten houses in a row leveled by a tornado. Some families were ready for it. Some families not ready for it. But it's the same storm. A wildfire takes out a neighborhood. Same storm. Let's say a family member suddenly dies. Everyone in the family is left reeling at the same time. But that doesn't mean they're in the same place to deal with it. Some handle it well. Some not so well. Some storms are... Small storms. I was riding here. <laughs> I had two, my two, girl, two, two of my girls in the car. And I ride up, and beside us pulls up a flatbed tow truck. And there's a vehicle on us. Hey, remember when we got to do that on I-95 like about a month and a half ago? That night was a mini storm. It wasn't fun to get stranded on I-95 and no Lyft, no Uber, no cabs, nobody coming. But it was a, in the scheme of it all, it wasn't a huge storm. But it still was a squall that, that you know, I had to digest. And my wife had to digest. We had to deal with it. And so I was, as soon as I saw the flatbed, the first thing came to my mind, hey, I don't ever want to see a flatbed again. That was, that was my thought. I don't like flatbeds now when I see vehicles on there. It's okay if it's someone else's problem, but not mine. No, I'm kidding. But um, some storms have us feeling overwhelmed. They're not small. They literally overwhelming. We get physical manifestations from, I mean, just the thought of them. They're overwhelming. John Flavel said, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Why? Because storms cause us to look up and bow down. They cause us to look up. And they cause us to bow down. Jesus said to build on the rock of his salvation. Let's think about this. Some storms are so great, they cannot and they will not be survived without Jesus. Did you hear that? Jesus said you better build on the rock. He said, he said a storm could come. Didn't he say it? He said it could come, and if you're building on sand, you'll be destroyed. Some storms are so big and we could all encounter one, or we could all encounter the same one. Good night. America could fall under a day of judgment where we all hit the same storm. And if we didn't have Jesus, we wouldn't survive. That's how big a storm. He said, you better build on me. 
death is the ultimate storm that only Jesus can take you through. How about that one? Death is the ultimate storm that everyone will eventually face that only Jesus can take us through unscathed for eternity. Isn't that great to know? That when that storm comes, you might say, oh, I'm ready for death. You don't know until you get there. Now, you, here's the thing. Even if you're saved, you're positionally ready for death, but you're not necessarily situationally ready for death. Does that make sense? You're positionally ready, but we've not faced that storm, so we can, we can surmise. Well, I think I'd handle it just like that. Not necessarily, but you'll, you'll get grace for that storm if you're in Jesus when that one comes. The grace for that final storm will come when it's needed, as it's needed. That's what Corey Ten Boom's father said. You know, what if the Nazis come and take us? And he says, the father will give you the bus fare at that time. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something to that effect. You'll have the faith, you'll have the grace for that moment. You won't know until that time comes how you'll handle that storm, but God will gird you because you're built on what? The rock. Understand that the storms of life, they hit both the believer and the unbeliever. Unsaved people get storms too. They don't have the Lord to turn to. Well, they do, but they might not be thinking in that way. But for the believer, we can know that every storm that's ever allowed in our life will be for good. The scriptures say all things work together for good to them that are the called according to his purpose. All things, even storms, even difficult times. If, and this is an if, capital I-F, if, if we respond with a heart of submission, with this kind of heart, Lord, what would you have me do? Storms come. Lord, what would you have me do? Little ones, big ones. You know, when the car broke down, I, I, Lord, what would you have me do? I knew what you don't want me to do. You do not want me to freak out. You do not want me to look, get mad and, and be a bad testimony to the tow truck driver, to my girls, to, you know, all of these things. So actually asking what the Lord would have us do also reveals what he doesn't want us to do. What would you have me to do? If you're taking notes, you see... Uh, the title night, When Storms Are Sent. The storm recorded here in Jonah chapter 2 was clearly an avoidable storm for Jonah. This storm was avoidable. He was not supposed to even be at sea. Jonah was supposed to be on land, walking his way to Nineveh. He was supposed to be heading northwest. Instead, he was heading southeast, the complete opposite direction. But his willful detour, and it was a willful detour. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but in your mind, you can say, have I ever had any willful detours? I bet you someone in this room has had some willful detours. You know God has you to do this, and you did that. We've all had willful detours. And then we get a little storm, and we know it was our fault. We still want to blame somebody else, right? We still want someone to blame. It's always easier to say, if they, and God's like, no, no, I'm looking at you. You drove the car straight into the storm. I told you to go that way. You went this way. But his willful detour and subsequent trial at sea will profoundly impact him. That's an understatement. It will profoundly impact him. Even when we've gone the wrong route, if, we're, if we belong to the Lord, God will still use it in our life. Even when we've gone, isn't that good to know that even when we've gone the wrong direction, if God loves us and has us, uh, that he will profoundly impact us in a good way. And, and not only him, but those with him are going to get impacted. And it provides, this story provides tangible insights for us to learn from and to apply in our lives. First thing we'll look at tonight. Now, I don't know if this will be a one part. Uh, it, it, we're in the second part of chapter two. But as I put my notes together, about one out of every ten times when I put together a message and study Nine out of ten times, I know that, all right, this is going to fit for this teaching. But one out of every ten times, I couldn't tell you until I'm done, is this going to flow over to next week? And tonight is one of those nights. So I, it'll either be part two next week, or we'll, I'm just going to get to, the clock will bear how far we get with this. But I don't want to shortchange it, because I believe there's a lot here that God wants us to digest and, and be able to apply in our lives. So 
The first thing, if you're taking notes that we're looking at, is the source of the storm. We see in verse, uh, uh, verse 2, uh, verse 4 here, but the Lord sent out a great wind. Well, there's no question who sent the storm. The Lord sent it. Well, the Lord sent out a great wind, powerful wind. We're told plainly that this storm was sent by God himself. God had sent Jonah to Nineveh, and now he sent a storm that has surrounded Jonah. I mean, just the seas are raging all around him. And it's surrounded him, even though he's going in precisely the opposite direction that he has been sent. Now, this isn't just any storm, but a terrifying storm, even to seasoned mariners. It says the mariners were afraid. These guys were seasoned sailors. They they had their sea legs. They were used to mighty storms, but this storm really gripped them with fear. The power of the storm made it obvious to them. Now, this, this whole thing takes place. It's a conversation. We just read it. I read it in a matter of minutes. We don't know how. I mean, the conversation was probably a little bit longer, but I really believe, looking at the context, they thought they had minutes left to live. Minutes left. Why? Well, it says the mariners were afraid, and, and that they, uh, the ship was about, verse 4, it was about to be broken up. They knew that you ever, you ever see something that you can tell the sound means that if this hits the wrong, if one wave hits this the wrong way, it's over. This ship is going to break in half. So they had likely minutes to live, not hours, likely minutes. And whether that was 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes. If, if I told you, hey, you got 60 minutes, don't worry, you got 60 minutes to live. You're not going to feel any better about 60 minutes versus 45 minutes, right? At that point, I thought, oh, great, I got an extra 15 minutes. So they don't have a lot of time. I don't believe they have hours before the ship would be broken into pieces by the force of the storm. God is literally blowing the storm right at Jonah and this ship. And he's sending this well-timed and powerful storm. And of course, uh, this isn't difficult for God. I mean, he spoke the universe into existence, right? He wants to send a storm, not hard for him. He just says the word. He doesn't have to do anything. He just says, storm, be there, and it's there. He holds the whole world. He holds the cosmos in his hand. It's not difficult for God to send a storm. I know some people read the scriptures, and they're not unbelievers. I think it was Billy Graham who said years ago, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, then the rest of the Bible is not going to be a problem for you, Right? And it's not. I mean, virgin births, walking, walking on water, all these things are not a big deal once you believe that, hey, God created it. He spoke it into existence. does anything he wants. In Noah's time, God flooded the entire world. Talk about, talk about a storm. The Noahic flood, the entire world was under this cataclysmic storm that raged, and it was so bad that only one little family lived. That's how bad that storm was a storm that really boggles our mind. But the same God who can send a storm can calm it as well. Isn't that good for you to know? Because the biblical storms are also metaphors for the spiritual storms that we have in our life. The same God that can send a storm can also calm it. One of the signs Jesus displayed of his power as God in the human flesh was remember he spoke to the raging sea and he said this simple phrase, Peace be still. Can you, imagine, can you imagine witnessing Jesus do that? I mean, it's just, it, the, the, the disciples thought they were going to die, and they also were men that were used to see, and they knew that that night it was over, but Jesus simply says, peace be still. Everything got quiet. Storm stopped raging. One of the manifestations Jesus showing us in his earthly ministry that he really was, Emmanuel, God with us, the same power that God has. Jesus is one with the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he said. Now the question arises, and I, I just want to throw this out there because uh, you might be thinking it or you might run into people who do ask these kind of questions. The question arises, do all storms directly come from God? Do all storms directly come from God? 
Do all earthquakes come directly from God? Do all wildfires come directly from God? Do all tornadoes and droughts and hurricanes and snowstorms and hail, etc., etc., do all of these things come from God on the lives of people? I mean, directly from God. Is he sending, he sent that wildfire, he sent this. Do all of these things come directly from God? In my own study of Scripture, and I don't have time to drill down on this, but just uh, again, in the years I've been studying the Scripture, and others that I respect and I've read from different scholars and different men that I know love the Word and love the Lord, know not every single storm is directly sent from God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Every single storm, I give, um, well, I'll give you an example in just a second. Um, let me finish this thought. Uh, they can absolutely come directly from God because we see one example right here. Absolutely, they can come directly from God. He controls it all. If he wants to send a meteor, he can send a meteor. Anything. Of course, the scriptures tell us, not only here in verse 4, that God sent this storm, but we know that God sent, think about the hailstorm that fell on Egypt. God sent that one, right? We know for a fact, Moses said, if you don't do this, the Lord's going to do this. Boom, here comes a hailstorm, wipes out every bit of vegetation. God stopped the rain for three and a half years under the ministry of Elijah. Elijah said, Lord, I pray. God says it's not going to rain until you, at the end of that three and a half years, he prays there on the Mount Carmel. We were there as he went to Israel. He prays on Mount Carmel. Rain comes that very day. Matter of fact, within no time, that same shortly after the prayer. So God held off the rain, and God gave the rain at exactly that three and a half year mark when Elijah prayed, challenging the prophets of Baal. In Isaiah 41.18, it says, listen to this verse, I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry lands a spring of water. So at various points in history, God has said, this will be a wasteland and this I'll make a waste. And he's flipped them sometimes. With Israel, because they were rebellious, he turned a lot of the land that used to be flowing with milk and honey, he turned it into desert. Right? So God can do this and has done this in Psalm 135, verses 6 and 7, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and earth, and the seas, and all the deep places, he caused the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of its treasury. In other words, all of creation is under his control, but he's not sending every specific storm. And here's why. Uh, he caused the whole earth... Um, well, one last example. He caused the whole earth... Uh, this is one that's not even related to nature at all that we can tell. Uh, he caused the whole earth to go dark for three hours when Jesus was on the cross. There's no explanation for it whatsoever. Eclipse doesn't fix it because they don't last that long. There's no explanation. He just said darkness for three hours. More verses than we have time tonight to express of God's sovereignty over storms and over weather. So it's good if, you, if you're praying, Lord, Please don't let this lightning bolt hit our house. You're praying to the right person. Not person, but <laughs> you're praying to the right God, right? Although in the person of Jesus, you are. Um, and yet, he's not sending every single wind or raindrop all the time. He's put systems in place, right? He's put weather patterns in place. He's put uh, the earth orbits and, you know, we can put satellites because there's an, there's an orbit around the Earth, and he's put atmospheric conditions and gravity and the distance of the sun. He's put systems in place, solar systems in place, weather systems in place, our body systems in place, all of these things. And so all of these things, many of them, he's set them into motion, and he's not sending, although he can stop and control anything. So a lot of this is beyond our comprehension because where God's realm is and ours is incompatible sometimes mentality-wise to think. And this is what drives atheists and other people crazy. They want to understand every little detail. You'll never understand every little detail. How God controls it all and yet leaves some of it to run as systems that he's allowed to operate in. But he's not sending every single... Uh, wind or drop of rain. He set the heavens and systems in place, and uh, that includes free will. He's given free will. Angels exercised it. A third of the angels 
said we won't worship God. People are exercising it. Some are saying, no thanks, I don't want your salvation. But part of what he's allowed is free will, and you also have the fallen nature of sin resulting in calamities, which again sometimes are not due to specific sin, just a fallen world. Um, but again, one example how you can know that not, he's not sending every single weather pattern. For example, if it snowed a foot in Antarctica, it doesn't matter to anybody. <laughs> you follow me? <laughs> it's just, it's, a, it's, it's part of the weather patterns. If it snows a foot at the North Pole, it wouldn't matter. To, and then, I know these places are actually dry, but they fill up over the years. But again, it might blow 150-mile-an-hour winds in the North Pole, and it's not affecting you or anybody else. It's not judgment on anybody. It's just those God has set those weather patterns in place. But yet he still uses and moves the chess pieces around to work on the hearts and minds of men. And some of the fallen angels, um, by the way, that he's given free will to, uh, some of the fallen angels have significant power compared to us. Would you not agree if you studied the scriptures? You know that the demonic realm has power. Uh, remember in the book of Acts, you know, these, these two guys are, thought they were, you know, big shot evangelists, and the demons spoke to them and said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but you two, we have no idea, and we're going to beat the tar out of you, right? And, so they, and they easily did. Uh, so we know that they have great power. But Satan, he can't do anything unless God allows him to. And it does appear that Satan has some allowable power even over storms and weather and things like that, under the purview of God, he has to, I, it appears he has to ask permission and things like that, within the time frame and parameters of God. Remember when he went up to talk to God about Job, and God said to Satan, what have you been doing? And of course, he knew what Satan had been doing. He's asking that for us, for the writing of the text. And Satan said, I've been roaming to and fro the earth. Uh, we can't do that. He's the prince of the power of the air. He can really kind of circle the globe probably in milliseconds or, or some time continuum we don't even understand. But he has power. And uh, it's said that lightning came down from God and hit the sheep and killed a bunch of Job's animals. And then his kids were killed. You know, a strong wind struck the four corners of the house and his kids uh, were killed. But it appears that God allowed Satan to do that. But it still says that God had the power of it. Does that make sense? That Satan was given the opportunity to exercise some power for a season. And even this, again, this, this, even this knowledge actually causes some people to really get angry about the Scripture. You ever talk to people, like, why would a God allow this? Why would he even allow this kind of stuff to happen? I say, well, you've got to read the whole book and accept it all. Because if you, the stuff you can get mad about, you also should get grieved about when you find out that he allowed his own son to endure your sin and my sin. So he also has allowed these things to just, you have to make a decision of faith. Will you actually, you know, submit to God? Now we're going to see in this story that God, when he actually turns all the screws, there's really no way to look but up, is there? Right? They all kind of come to the right conclusion in this story. This is a true story, and it's a good conclusion that they come to, but... Um, Many scholars, I shouldn't say many, but I've, I've definitely read scholars that believe that, for example, uh, remember the storm that Jesus was sound asleep in the bottom of the boat? Remember that one? Kind of a parallel here, isn't it? Jonah's asleep in the bottom. Jesus, remember we talked about Jonah's from Galilee, Jesus from Galilee. The only other, the only other prophet in all scriptures from Galilee was Jonah, Jesus. Jesus said, like it was in, in, uh, with Jonah and the fish for three days, Son of Man will uh, be in the earth for three days. And so we understand that there's these parallels we talked about in the overview. But when Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the ship, other scholars, and I agree with this, believe that Satan sent that storm to drown Jesus. On numerous occasions, remember, the enemy tried to kill Jesus, and then Jesus escaped from their hands. Remember it says that they tried to grab him. And numerous times they tried to kill Jesus, Herod tried to kill Jesus right at the outset, and God comes and tells an angel, get to Egypt. So Satan was trying to kill Jesus as a baby in different places, and if he had drowned Jesus and all the apostles, there's no New Testament, there's no 
disciples sent all into the world, but instead, they get scared. They wake Jesus up. Of course, he knows all this anyway. He's not just asleep. He's like, in five, four, three, two, one, they're going to not, you know, right? He can know they're about to come down, and they're about to wake me up. He knows all of this, right? I mean, every down to the last second, and they're going to come within an inch of their life, and I'm going to say, peace, be still, and it, all this is going to happen, right? But nevertheless, it's very possible, certainly plausible, that Satan, who tried to kill Jesus as a baby, was trying to take Jesus out with that storm. And he could send the storm, but notice who had the power over the storm. And Jesus said, all right, you can send it, but I can send it right back. <laughs> you know, so, and roll you right on into hell if he wanted to at that time. Remember the demons? They said, please don't judge us yet. They were afraid. But our focus this evening is more about, in this particular story, the storms, what is God teaching us as how this applies to our life? And so we, let's take a look, and, and not just our life, but just uh, in the spiritual realm, what God was doing in this situation with a physical storm, but how was it affecting the hearts of both Jonah and these men, and how can we apply it in our own life? Second point, if you're taking notes, the stirring. It might be our only uh, second point. We might move the rest to next week, but let's move on. Uh, this stirring starts to take place, verse uh, 5, the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. And they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. The farther you go away from God, the lower you go. He was at the lowest parts of the ship. Sound asleep. The captain comes to him. Arise. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call on your God. But these guys are really in a panic mode. They know they have what I believe to be minutes left to live. They know the ship's about to break apart. They're doing everything they can, throwing stuff off the ship. The storm that God has sent has stirred the sea now to a raging tempest. And the scriptures say it's getting worse. It already was catastrophic, and it's still increasing power. You know, no matter what the world's ever seen, God could send something bigger. And of course, you've read the book of Revelation, you know bigger things than the world has ever seen. There's coming a day where it says an earthquake so great, every single island on earth will be moved out of its place. Can you imagine that? One day an earthquake is coming in every single island. Hawaii and all of its islands, Philippines and all of its islands. Something bigger than anyone has ever seen. So even though these men have already seen it be powerful, God's raising the, the waves even higher as they're trying to figure out what do we do? We're calling our gods. We're waking this guy up who's way down at the bottom. It's stirring everyone on board to take some sort of action. Well, everyone except for one. Jonah took the best sleeping pills the world has ever seen. How in the world is he asleep during all of this? I think there's something super. I think God allowed him to stay asleep for effect. <laughs> you know, God's like, I'm going to let you sleep deeper than you've ever slept. Now, I mentioned in our intro of the book that the story of Jonah serves as a type or a foreshadow. Again, you've got to go back a few weeks and listen to the other. But this book serves as a type or foreshadow of the ministry and the sending of Jesus. It's a type. It's a foreshadow. It's not a direct duplicate. But you see things that certainly in Jesus himself speaks of them. But I mentioned both are from Galilee. Both are sent to the lost. Jesus wants to go to the lost. Jonah does not want to go to the lost. But both are sent to the lost. Uh, three days in the fish versus three days in the grave. Expulsion from the fish versus walking out of the grave. I think Jesus is much more glorious uh, exit there, right, uh, than, than to be thrown up by the fish. Uh, but uh, as we looked at, it's a foreshadow, but it's also a contrast between a flawed prophet and yet a servant of God versus God's perfect prophet and a son of God. Jonah is a son of God. You and I are sons of God, but we're quite a contrast. We are flawed compared to Jesus, aren't we? We're the same boat. Speaking of boats, right? But we're in the same boat. Uh, Jesus was the perfect prophet and the only servant sent to the lost that truly loved the whole world. 
Jonah did not love the whole world. He did not love Nineveh. He loved some of his own people, but wasn't a big fan of the Assyrians. So while Jonah is sound asleep in a storm, um, God, uh, God's sending this, sending this picture of this spiritual condition of Jonah here. He's sound asleep, and it's, it's a spiritual picture, really, of an unhealthy place that people that know God as their Lord and Savior can come to. He's completely oblivious to the hand of God and completely oblivious to what's even happening to people around him. You can become so asleep spiritually and so self-absorbed that you're not hearing from God and you're not caring about people. That's not a good place to be. That's an unhealthy place to be, and that's where Jonah is at. Jesus, on the other hand, um, Jonah's completely oblivious asleep. Jesus, when he was sound asleep, kind of contrasts the two situations, Jesus asleep at the bottom of the boat, Jonah asleep. But Jesus is not oblivious. Jesus was sound asleep in a storm. He's sound asleep in a storm that probably Satan sent versus Jonah was sound asleep in a storm that God sent. See the difference? Jesus is sound asleep in a storm that is an attack, probably whipped up, or very likely, very possibly whipped up by the enemy himself. But Jesus is resting in peace, even though there's an attack against him. An attack against, and he does, and he's not careless about his apostles. He's caring for them because he knows that this is something they have to learn. It's a le- Jonah's not thinking about this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out to sea so everybody here can learn a lesson. And I'm going to fall asleep. And you know, he no, none of his. He had no good motives in this. Whereas Jesus is teaching. Jesus was always teaching, whether he's awake or asleep. There's always something he's doing. He was not, Jesus was not asleep at the wheel. He's resting. We want to learn to rest like Jesus in storms, don't we? Don't you want to learn to have that kind of rest? You know, Paul had that. When he got into prison, him and Silas, they were beaten. And instead of them complaining, and they're singing hymns, Right? That's the kind of peace that you and I, because Paul's more relatable to us than Jesus in the sense that Paul was just like us. He had to grow to that maturity level. There's a time in his life that he might not have been able to do that. You and I have to grow the place that we can have that kind of peace that Jesus exhibited in the bottom of the boat, but not, Jonah's is not peace. His is just kind of, he's numbed himself. Some Christians want to do that, and that's an oblivious, oh, I just want to kind of put everything out of my mind. I don't want to think about anything. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to grow past the things that would ruffle us, to grow through those things. But although Jonah's asleep, dreaming of his new life in Tarshish, God will be waking him up, won't he? If you belong to God, he's going to be waking you up. That's... You need to know that. If you belong to God, he will be waking you up if he's not done it already. This storm is specifically sent for Jonah. It is Jonah's storm. You could have named, they named hurricanes names. This could have been Hurricane Jonah. This was named for him. They should have named it him and they named storm. This is just for him. But even though it's sent for Jonah, God's stirring everybody else in the process too. You know, God can hit... With one arrow, all the bullseyes at the same time. It's summer, and you'll have those nights where, uh, you know, sometimes you and a few other people are sitting out, out, out back, and um, you ever have, you, you, you hear this zzz, and the first person gets bit by a mosquito. There's always one that gets it first. And maybe that person is the one that gets the second and the third one, and yet, and then other people start to get them, and, and uh, it started out with three and four mosquitoes. Now you see 15 or 20, because once they all kind of catch the, you know, I don't know, the vibration or something, they kind of tell all their friends, and they all start coming your direction. And now that since out of three or four mosquitoes, it's 15, it's 20, and there's still that one lucky individual that I haven't gotten bit yet once. You know, there's always that one person that says, I haven't even gotten bit but stay long enough, and they finally will get theirs too because mosquitoes eventually, the more the numbers come up, 
even the, the, the person that went for the first 15 minutes, I, I'm fine, you know, they, they're going to get it as well. Everyone will eventually be forced into action. You can slap away, you, you have options. If mosquitoes are coming in summer and you're sitting in the back, you can sit there and slap all night long. You can do that. You can stay vigilant, slap your face, slap your neck, slap everywhere. You can do all that. You can go inside. You can say, I, I've had it, I'm going inside. Uh, you can go home if you don't live there. You can say, I'm out of here, I've enjoyed the visit, I'm going home. You can grab the bug offspray, and at that point, you don't care how many chemicals are in it. You don't care if they cause cancer. You're like bathing in it at that point. You just don't care at that point. You can go put on pants and long sleeves. You have that option. Uh, it might be too hot, but it's an option. Uh, but to ignore the growing swarm isn't an option, right? After a while, mosquitoes are small, but they will win the battle. And here of course, is a far greater situation, uh, far more serious than, as I mentioned, mosquito fly shows up, but uh, uh, more serious than backyard mosquitoes. They're not getting bitten, but they're about to be drowned, and so eventually they, they know something has to give. They have to, there has to be a solution here, or it's inevitable we're going to die. They're absolutely terrified. And their res first response is not to grab the bug offspray, it's to cry out to their gods, lowercase g-o-d-s. They're crying out to their gods. They might have little idols, they might be holding them up and say, uh, I thought you had power over the sea, or you're the sun god, or you're the wind god, or whatever else. And they're praying, crying out to their gods, which is about as effective as uh, just slapping away at mosquitoes. Eventually, you can't keep up. Uh, it's a losing proposition. One time, Sarah and I, we... We, we lived in Miami, and uh, a couple of times we went across Alligator Alley, which is from Fort Lauderdale. It's a straight line over to where Naples on the other side of the state is. And uh, the first couple of times we went across, we went across in the winter. Uh, and in winter in Florida is a relative term, but uh, you can get, you know, nights are down in the you know, 40s or 50s at certain times, and then the daytime gets up in the 60s. And mosquitoes are not an issue, even in the Everglades, in like January. And we went a couple times in January and February. And in our mind, we were like, we got out, no issues, January and February, we didn't have mosquitoes. We made the mistake of trying that again, going across Alligator Alley like in June. And we got out in the middle of the Everglades. I'm not kidding. When I say we got out of the car, I did not get five feet before I was like diving back into the car. The number of mosquitoes, it, we were killing them inside the car, went, just shut the door. They were, I mean, it was, it was, I'd never experienced anything like it, remember? We were killing them inside the window. I'm slapping her, she's slapping me. People thought we looked like we're not getting along or something, but uh, you could not win against that number. It was just, it was totally different, and we had, we just didn't think. We were like, well, in January it wasn't like that. But when, as soon as it was warm, they were by the hundreds. You have to be an alligator or something to live there. It was, just, it was unreal. Uh, but it was a big mistake. But we definitely had a stirring. Now, in addition to crying out to their gods, these veteran sailors, they start throwing things overboard. And we see Paul do the same thing in the book of Acts when the ship was about to be wrecked. They started throwing. They threw everything they could to lighten the load, to, to have it be more buoyant and not have it... Uh, break um, against the sea. Uh, they remember uh, at some point, either they remember or uh, maybe they go downstairs and they're grabbing stuff at the bottom of the ship to haul off work, but it, or possibly remember, hey, isn't there one other dude on here? And they find he's sound asleep. Now, they awaken him, which is really God awakening him. They, 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 it's time for you to get up. They awaken Jonah, but he's, all, he's now... He's now awake, and he's wide awake. You know, in the morning when you wake up, you're awake, but then other things make you wide awake, like the fire alarm going off. I mean, uh, it will send you into, into the room. You know, you're basically, sound, you ever had it go off in the middle of the night? And, you know, it's, it's just not a comforting thing. Uh, but he's wide awake now. And in Romans 13, 11, it says, Knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. Jonah is completely out of the will of God, and yet, at this point, he didn't have a care in the world about it. He was sound asleep. He was totally out of the will of God, and he didn't care that he was out of the will of God. 
And we'll talk a little more about this su- Sunday in the message. I'm, you know, uh, I kind of do a mid-year point message a lot of times to, to go back to what I share in the first week of January. So we'll tie back to that. But uh, he was out of the will of God, didn't have a care about it. The non-believers, they're now scared to death around him. They're scared to death. And I see this sometimes. Um, I spoke it with non-Christians. I don't know if you've had conversations. I have. I have spoken with non-Christians that seem more disturbed about the world coming apart at the seams than some Christians. And I'm not saying that because these Christians have great faith. It's they don't care. They're just lackadaisical don't care. They're like not even noticing. Whereas I've talked to unsaved people are like, man, this seems wrong, and this seems wrong, and this seems wrong. I'm like, you're right, it is wrong. And let me tell you what the scriptures have to say. And you talk to some Christian about it, everything seems fine to me. Like, what planet are you living on? Do you watch the news? Do you, do you read anything? Uh, but these guys are now scared to death, and yet some, what's sad, you know, Jonah, he's sound asleep. He doesn't care at this moment. I mean, once he gets woken up, he starts to care. But it, when he was asleep, he didn't care. He didn't know. He didn't care. He was completely unaware. And yet some so-called Christians and some celebrity pastors today live as if there's not a care in the world, don't they? Other than to be happy, at ease, healthy, wealthy, living the good life and living the American dream, that is not our calling. God may give you some good things and we're thankful for them, but it's not your calling to live the good life or my calling. It's our calling to reach and save a fallen world. But these unsafe sailors, they see the danger that Jonah himself was oblivious to. If they don't wake him up, they all die. You think about it, right? He was completely oblivious to it. It took unsafe people to shake him. He's informed that unless somebody's God intervenes, we're all going to perish. They say, unless your God has the power, we're going down. In their superstition... They believe someone on the ship has violated one of their gods. They have superstitious beliefs, and they're like, we need to draw straws. We need to do something. Someone on here has cursed this. That's a lot of the religions around the world, they think that someone's put a curse on this situation, or there's a curse on someone on this ship, and we don't know who it is. But in their superstition, they decide, let's cast lots, verse 7. So they cast lots. And here... God even uses their false religion to display his power. Like, you want to cast lots? This time, I'll step in. They cast lots. God supersedes it. He does step in, and the lot falls on the very one he sent the storm for. Hurricane Jonah, you're the one. The lot falls on him. Um, he show, God shows his power even though Jonah's been hiding from God, and he's been really silent about God. He didn't tell anybody. They're asking him, where are you from? Who are you? Look at the questions. They said, please tell us, by whose cause is this trouble? Where, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Who are your people? Um, Jonah had acted, and perhaps had even been dressed, in a way to totally blend in. They had no idea. He was Hebrew. I don't know how he, either he said nothing or worked on an accent or something. They had no idea that he was Hebrew. They didn't know his occupation and his response. He's a prophet and no one knows he's a prophet. That is not the calling of prophets. He's Hebrew. No one knows he's Hebrew. He worships God. No one knows he worships God. They didn't know that his calling, his occupation is to serve God and preach for God, and no one knows it. Not only do we have many asleep Christians today, we all have many covert operation Christians. Their job is for no one to know they're a Christian. To blend in, to be sound asleep, and to blend in so nobody knows they're a Christian. And hopefully, the rapture takes them away in a blissful moment, and they never had to have anything but just a good sleep through life. Isn't that sad? 
It's a picture here, isn't there? That God is saying, this, no one even knew he was of me. No one knew he was a follower of the Lord. Now, this was a man who really had, had served the Lord probably well, but this is how fast you can fall. And it starts in the heart. He wasn't out doing grotesque sin. He just didn't care anymore. He didn't want to be known. Of all. I just want to get away. I want to live in Tarshish, find a little beach house there, and chill for the rest of my life. If there's an absolute emergency, some Christians might say, if there's an absolute emergency, I might let them know I'm a believer. When everything falls apart, maybe, just maybe. But I propose if you can't let people know until it's an absolute emergency, you probably won't let them know even then. Here's a little scriptural fact, though. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, right? Whom the Lord, if he knows you, he will come find you. Uh, he leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. Now, I know that's a lost, but it also has, uh, you know, uh, uh, equal uh, understanding about the shepherd and his flock, those that belong to him. Uh, if the Lord knows you, he will chasten. If you really belong to Jesus, you will not be allowed by the Lord to stay camouflaged or asleep, or both. You will not be allowed to stay camouflaged or asleep. And by the way, things are happening in our country that you will in your lifetime have to choose, are you going to stand for Jesus or not? Things are coming down the road that the world is going to say, we're going to make you decide, do you really believe in this Jesus? Well, my decision's already made, because this world ain't my home. How about you? <laughs> you could have this place. Uh, you, you think it all is heaven on earth? You can have it, but make your decision now where you're going to stand. But uh, verse 9 must eventually come pouring forth from our mouth. Finally, Jonah, uh, he realizes, Lord, I, I've really messed up. Verse 9, so he said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Jonah's like, I should have told you this at the outset. But this is who I am. I know the Lord. I'm one of his prophets. He made all this. We're going to have to stop there, and we'll get into it. Next week, we'll finish this about the rest of it. It's, it's good stuff. Uh, we can get the rest of this, what God's going to do in Jonah, and then when we get into chapter, uh, chapter 2, there's more of this. But let's go ahead and close in prayer for now. Father, we know that you send storms, and we know that whom you love, you chasten. And Lord, we pray that uh, whether we've walked into storms <laughs> of our own fault or storms you've allowed, I pray, Lord, that we would ask this simple question. Lord, what would you have me to do? And Lord, as you direct us in your word, we will come back to that place of surrender and really abiding in you and trusting in you and living for you. And so, Lord, we don't want to be asleep. We don't want to blend in. We want to care about the things you care about. And so we ask that just tonight and even as we continue in the next week, you continue to uh, stir us as you stirred this storm. You were stirring people to draw near to you, to be saved and your own servants to get back on fire for the Lord. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.